Hey, fellow cycling family and friends, I just want to tell you how gorgeous you are today, and I hope you have the most amazing week. Now, it's December, and I hope you have your gear list ready and sent off to Santa. Your women, this is totally for you. The four-week cycling skills workshop benefits all women. These skills can be implemented immediately on the bike and trainer, cycling outside, indoor cycling, on a spin bike or peloton. All your current frustrations and questions will be answered guaranteed. If you're interested in joining me, don't wait another moment. With this link, you can get started at the beginning of each month. I know you're trying to decide whether or not to check out the four week cycling skills workshop for women, but I don't blame you. There are so many other online cycling training platforms that offer cycling routes and training sessions, but they're but here's what makes my four-week cycling skills workshop different. First of all, it's taught by someone who's not just starting out, but actually has is pretty experienced. I've been working with free clients in my cycling club, Cyclefit Chicks, all the way to Canadian national female cyclists. And I continuously update my coaching tactics to help beginner to advanced cyclists level up with these cycling techniques hardly anyone is talking about. Secondly, the four-week cycling skills workshop for women is so much more. A lot of times there are online cycling training programs that teach you how to train intensely but don't, don't but actually don't help you develop the fundamental cycling skills and techniques such as gear management, hill climbing, strength, power and speed, and nutritional timing in order to effectively become a faster, fitter, and more efficient cyclist and well-rounded athlete. And also, there are very few courses about cycling that actually teach you how to develop a smooth, efficient pedal stroke. The four-week cycling skills workshop for women aims to fill both these gaps in the cycling in cycling training, not to mention the workshop provides the recordings of the explanations, demonstrations, plus homework. In addition, you will gain access to a library of over 100 strength training workouts to help you level up, and that is all on top of the core curriculum you already get when you join the workshop. So it's safe to say I'm delivering incredible results coaching over a thousand female cyclists through my cycling club and now it's even more exciting to impact more female cyclists globally through my four-week cycling skills workshop for women. You can't go wrong when you join a workshop developed by women for women. It's time to level up and remove the frustrations. So if you're ready to join, just click the link that you see and secure your spot today in one of the next four-week cycling skills workshops for women's sessions. Now, before the new year, with um, this amazing deal, a 25 25% off until December 31st. Limited spots available. Don't wait another minute. Click the link and roll today, and I can't wait to see you on the inside. Welcome to Secrets from the Saddle podcast. I'm Sylvie Dao, your host, fellow cyclist, bike club founder, cycling coach, bike race junkie, just truly super passionate about cycling. My journey with cycling started 20 years ago when I opened a spin studio, started a women's race team, and founded a women's only cycling club called Cycle Fit Chicks. I'm super thrilled to reveal all aspects that make the world of cycling operate. 
I'm so excited to be able to bring you interesting people from around the world, pro cyclists, recreational cyclists, coaches, event organizers, bike shop owners, everything and everyone you need to know or ever wondered about when it comes to cycling. I know you'll enjoy this episode. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Secrets in the Saddle All Things Cycling Podcast with your host, Sylvie Dew. And I am super excited to be bringing you another cycling lawyer. But so we talked to Robert, who is a cycling lawyer in the United States. And now, so that's episode 56, if you want to go back and listen. But now we've got a cycling lawyer from Toronto, Ontario, Canada. So we've got the two countries that we're going to be covering. And now, Rob was nice enough to know of Patrick Brown, who is sitting in Toronto. Thank you for joining us. I have a couple little things that we're going to just uh, bring out about Patrick before we fully introduce him on the podcast. So Patrick is from Toronto, uh, who is a principal partner and owner of McLeish Orlando LLP and has been practicing personal injury in Ontario for over 25 years. So Patrick is one of the select set of lawyers who has been certified as a specialist specialist in civil litigation. So Law Society of Ontario voted as the leading lawyer and best lawyer in, uh, of Canada list. Wow, we're gonna ask about that. And Patrick proudly sits on the steering committee of Friends and Family for Safe Streets. He is the former director of Cycle Toronto, so Toronto Cycling Union. So this is where we're going to be talking about this. Founder of Bike Law Canada and lead uh, head organizer of the Vulnerable Road Users Coalition in of Ontario, which lobbies for new laws to end road violence. Wow. And I know like in Canada, um, you know, there's a lot of talk about that, but welcome Pat to the podcast. Sylvie, thanks so much for having me. I'm so glad I'm here and I get to meet you and, and to talk about something that's very, very dear to me. So excited. I'm super glad to hear it. And if you guys are catching this on the podcast, on the audio version, you can jump over to YouTube and get a good feel for because Pat's office is really cool. He's even got the bike in the background, which I understand he is an avid cyclist who still cycles like every day to work. Do you? I don't do every day to work, uh, but I used to. I'd love to say I do every day, but as I got older, it isn't as frequent as it once was. But um, yeah, no, I, I, I ride all over the city. Absolutely. Anytime I have the opportunity inside the city, I'm riding uh, my city bike. Uh, but in relation right. to my commuting, I can't say, Sylvie, that I do it every day. Uh, I just got a little too old for it, uh, but I try to do it as much as I can. Now, Pat, what is old? Well, I, I guess old is what I guess you consider it. But I have to say, Sylvie, from riding, and I was a commuter rider a lot. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've ridden bikes all my life. So I'm one of the, those generations that started out on a, on a banana seat 
And then I moved up into the late 70s when BMX came. We started getting into bikes and modifying things and, and, and making bikes a little bit cooler. And then as I got older, uh, I uh, used it for commuting. And so I used it for commuting, going to and from work. Um, and I've always been on my bike. I didn't get a car till I was 34. And uh, yeah. I can so, see that if you live uh, in the city. So let's backtrack and let's talk about how you got into cycling and then how it led you to become a lawyer with regards to protecting those on bikes. Like I said, so I've always been loving bikes, on bikes. Bikes have been part of my life. And so that was quite independent of me becoming a lawyer. Uh, I became a lawyer just, I don't know, I, I kind of fell into it. It kind of suited me. I started out being doing criminal law, family law, a little bit of everything, you know, um, jack of all trades, master of none. And then eventually I started doing civil litigation cases involving people who got hurt, seriously hurt, or people who have lost a loved one. And I, it really fit with me. Um, it had all kinds of things that I like. It had me in the courtroom, had me doing advocacy. It had a, a bit of a, a competitive nature to it. And it really also helped people get through some pretty bad crisis in their lives. And I must say it was a really perfect fit for me. So how the, the two got morphed into each other was really just, I'd have to say it was a case about 16 years ago I did. At that point in time in my life, I had two small children, two girls. It was Halloween, so it's actually quite, uh, uh, you know, Halloween. And this young guy named Ryan, riding his bike home, he's coming here in Toronto. People who know Toronto, he's on Queen Street, coming up to a street called Gladstone. Uh, he's getting and he's riding home. He's a commuter cyclist uh, riding home to take his kids out for Halloween. And sure enough, uh, a truck uh, does a right hook across his path, leaves uh, an entire goes across an entire lane, does a right hook. And unfortunately for Ryan, he was killed. He got sucked into the undercarriage and, and died. And I did that case. And when I was working on that case, Sylvie, there was a real problem getting certain witnesses. Um, and I turned to the community looking for witnesses. And all of a sudden this whole cycling activist community came to the forefront and really helped me uh, with getting witnesses. Um, and they, I worked with a few of them and became close with them. And they were also very much into ghost bikes. And so um, Ryan had a ghost bike and I got familiar with that too. And they said, you know what, you really should do more, Pat. And, and, and Ryan's widow, I said to her, you know, I will do more. You know what? Uh, and so I got more activated into the community. Um, I would say I became more of an activist. And my goal was to make change and still is. So that's kind of how I morphed into the community. And then here in Toronto, um, Back then, there was just different activists, and, and we got together, and we started trying to plan different things, and then it morphed into all these different other areas in cycling uh, that I've been involved with. So that's the start. Uh, it just brought me back to a couple people that I know personally who were um, victims of car or of accidents, and I was just like, I got a hold in a tear, but because it is a pretty sad thing when. Um, cyclists are taken but let's talk about the activism that you're 
um, that's happening in Toronto. Like you said, it, it was like a big start. So can you share more about that, Pat, of, you know, what you've been working on? Sure, Sylvie. The different groups with different activities. So when I got I started, I started to write for a group called Advocacy for, for Respect for Cyclists, ARC it's called here in Toronto. And they're the ones that do ghost bikes. Now, um, that's run by Jeffrey and Joyce Schwartz. And they're just great on making sure people remember that um, there's consequences to your driving behavior. And the consequences are all through our city and they're in the form of ghost bikes. And hey, let's not forget that these were human beings with families. They were also cyclists and we've lost them on something we can change. So I do some work with that group. Um, I originally started doing writing for them. And then I got with the Toronto Cyclist Union, which is now Cycle Toronto. So I had the opportunity of serving on their board for four years. I was there when we switched the name to Cycle Toronto, but Cycle Toronto, what a great group. It's expanded so, so much in the city. It's gotten so more active. It's more connected to the municipal government, partly to the provincial. Um, they're out there working every day, trying to get new infrastructure, new bike lanes, um, doing sponsoring rides, having their advocacy. Uh, so I can't say enough about Cycle Toronto. Um, I'm still actively involved with them. I'm no longer on the board, uh, but um, I sit and I, I co-sponsor rides to, uh, you know, get bike lanes on Blur Street, get bike lanes on the Danforth. We're always fighting for another bike lane to move forward. Uh, and uh, I work with them too on doing deputations to the provincial government on some other changes as well. So Cycle Toronto, really a great organization that is just doing a phenomenal job here in Toronto. Um, who else is there? There's there's lots of other ones. So the Vulnerable Road User Coalition, back to that story that I think I was telling you, Sylvie, that, you know, in that Ryan Carrier's case, one I did 16 years ago, you know, what happened to that driver? Do you know what the penalty was for doing that? Right hap what happens to drivers like that? Well, he got an $85 fine an $85 fine. Now you'd think that's a one-off, but it's not. So over the last 16 years that I've been doing this, we, myself and Cycle Toronto started creating a database to see what type of penalties were being given to these people that do drive badly, broken the law, get convicted and what, what penalties, and the penalties were fines. I've done repeated cases where small fines are handed out to these drivers. So we started the Vulnerable Road User Coalition, which is a, a coalition of different, you know, activist groups, pedestrian groups. Walk Toronto is a great pedestrian group. Cycle Toronto, ARC, Hoof and Cycle was a, a couriers organization run by Wayne Scott, the late Wayne Scott. Um, TCAT, Toronto Centre for Active Transportation, 880 cities. In any event, and then some senior groups, we started the coalition, we brought three private members bills to the provincial government, asking for changes to our laws so that we can have some more meaningful penalties when these things happen, so to stop it from happening. We failed three times. <laughs> we're gonna try again, we're trying again, uh, and um, we're gonna keep fighting for those laws. So that group too, uh, with Friends and Family for Safe Streets, which is really a victims group uh, that have been victimized by road violence. And they are out there and 
doing so much as well. We go to the government, we ask for new laws like a textilizer, we look for new laws about reducing speed. And of course, uh, the vulnerable road user law is the one that's kind of dear to me. Why do you think that these, like when you go and you try to create a new law, why do you think it, like you failed three times? And I'm not saying against you, but why do you think that things like this aren't, aren't put into consideration on the top of the bill? Because I don't know what's happening. Well, I'm actually in Quebec, so I'm very close to Ottawa. I'm in Hull. So if I just say I'm in Ottawa um, and I'm just like, I'm just thinking like, is it actually stemmed this far up to Ontario, like Ottawa, or is it just specifically in Toronto that you're putting these through? Are they provincially across the, the province? Okay, it's, a, it's across the province, probably across the country. I mean, it's, it's, it's a North American thing as well. So if you talk to someone, part of, I'm part of Bike Law. Bike Law Canada really is a branch off from Bike Law International, which is a set of bike lawyers throughout the United States, ones that you've, you've talked to. And um, we're getting the same type of, not every, every, some places are different and some have been more progressive than others. But there is a North American car culture uh, where we oh. put so much value on driving cars. People think it's their right to drive a car instead of a, it being a privilege. And we put such an emphasis on that, that you really do feel that in there, it exists a bias against cyclists. And that car culture and that bias runs right from obviously the driving public and the vast majority drive, correct? I drive even, and every, you know, the vast majority drive, but it filters into police, it filters into enforcement, it filters into the way our government makes laws. It filters into our court system. And I think that until that culture fully changes, we're still gonna have many of the problems that exist today in relation to making sure that you and I and everybody else who wants to ride a bike, whether you're, you're riding in a group ride, whether you're riding to go get some milk, whether you're, you know, for your family, your kids to school, that you can ride safe and you have a way of getting there without getting hit by a, a driver. Now, do you think that, um, have you been look, well, you know how we all know that Europe is a huge, um, okay, let me ask that after. Okay, so come back to now. In the last 18 months, we've seen an exponential growth of people on bikes. Now, would you say that that has maybe pushed a little bit faster to take into the consideration these new laws because more people are getting on bikes more so than like before, just because of COVID that do you think that would have an effect or sure. make I it a little bit more important? In Toronto, for instance, I can tell you mm -hmm. there's, there's more people on bikes and, and, and it's increasing and it's great to see. And um, it, it takes so much congestion out of the city. It moves things in, in a much better way. But I think that has a lot to do with them putting in new infrastructure like bike lanes and sheriffs to start allowing people to be able to do it. 16 years ago, when I was commuting in and out of the city, 
it was it was <laughs> it was a completely yeah. different story and and uh it was crazy and um it felt like that and now you can actually plan your route and if you plan your route carefully enough uh you can access certain bike lanes for the a large portion of the route so that's bringing more people on bikes and hats off to all those organizations i've, I've talked to you about uh, like cycletron to to make that happen but we, we're not even close to what we should be though but it's it's still a positive well it's definitely better i mean i know here in ottawa there the routes have have grown even in like in quebec across the river thing i mean there's routes all over the place like you said you could you can easily do a, a group ride on routes all over the city and um and enjoy being off-road but there's also that thing that these aren't necessarily bike lanes they're multi-purpose pathways <laughs> which I don't know about you have had a little bit issue of their own because of multi-purpose. Um, I think, I think even accidents on the bike on the multi-purpose paths have increased a little bit because of the congestion of so many routes. I know as I have a women's cycling club and that's one of the things that we um, are really conscious about because, you know, the mileage there, their, um, the speed is only 20 kilometers an hour. And we know that, you know, maybe above average cyclists go way faster than that and should be on the road. But um, we find lots of routes outside the city now that um, kind of to, to keep our numbers off of those paths because we recognize that certain times of the day, you just don't want to be on one of those paths because everybody's else using them. Do you find that that's become a bit of a question in Toronto? Sure, you're, you're getting more you're getting more conflicts between cyclists and pedestrians, and, and you do see those conflicts occur on those multi-use paths. I think it part of the problem, and I'll say it from a personal level, is part of my commute route was on what we call the Martin Goodman Trail. And it's a good stretch from what we call the Humber River all the way into the core of the city. And it's about a 10 kilometer stretch. And it's primarily multi-purpose and from time to time you do see uh, some people just bombing along it at 30 maybe 40k per hour and it's not the place to do that it just simply isn't the place to do that because not just are there pedestrians there could be children there can be dogs and so obviously those cyclists take it back a notch you know if you really want to ride like that wait for a place where you you're, you can do it with your group at a different time but I also do though blame and I shouldn't say blame no 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 keep but, going okay so you're going to give me a community <laughs> you're, you're going to call this as my commuting route and I want to get to work and this is part of the route that you've given me that is probably the safest alternative for me because the lakeshore wherever isn't that safe or this other aspect isn't safe. So now you say my safe alternative is forcing me into the area to be shared with pedestrians as opposed to giving me, I shouldn't say me, but giving <laughs> yeah, cyclists <you. laughs> the ability to commute with their own commuting route. 
Like we don't do that on rush hour to cars. We don't tell drivers of cars, you're going to have a commuting route that's going to be shared inside a residential area. We don't, we build them freeways to get in and out of the city. Build us commuting freeways that we don't have to be in conflict with pedestrians and dogs and children. And so, but at the same time, time until that happens cyclists have to tone it down those ones they know who they are okay so pat let's talk about the cyclists now we're both very passionate cyclists but we all know that there are some that give us a bad rap and maybe you know who you are but i'm just saying like i'm i'm an advocate and i i have no problem telling people to slow down and that you're not respecting the area. I'm a cyclist. You're a cyclist. If we want to uh, respect and have the use of this area, we need to comply to the rules of our multi-purpose pass. Um, if you're out for a time trial, it's not the place to go. If you're late, maybe you should get up early. What do you say to people like that? Because there's always someone who's not abiding by the rules and doesn't feel that it applies to them. So it's a great question because, no, it's a yeah. great question because I've no, gone and I've It's I an sat, ongoing question. <laughs> no, no, I've sat across the minister, uh, three different ministers of transportation here in Ontario. And I can tell you in one meeting when we sat down and, and we were putting forward some changes to make things safer, to add some more deterrence, uh, his initial response to us was, well, there's a lot of bad cyclists doing a lot of bad things and maybe we should be working on that too. And here's what I say to that though. And, 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 and I can tell you, I, I have the stats and information to back myself up on this comment. But in the 20 years that I've been doing this, I've represented a lot of families of cyclists that have been killed and cyclists that have been seriously injured by drivers of the car breaking the law. I can tell you, I have not represented any pedestrians or drivers of cars that have been hurt by a cyclist. And it's because of that thing that if you're a bad cyclist, if you're a bad cyclist and you're gonna break the law, you're gonna run the red light, you're, you're gonna run the stops, you, you, you're gonna act like an idiot, you know who's gonna get hurt? You, you're gonna get seriously hurt or killed by making those conscious choices to break the law or ride the way you do. But that's who gets hurt. But when you deal with a driver, and, and, and the vast majority of people being killed and injured are by drivers of vehicles, you're going to get a small little dent in your car. If that, you're going to maybe spill your cough, maybe, you know, but you're going to kill the cyclist or you're going to seriously injure them just because of the weight of two tons versus a bike. So I always say, yeah, that's true. Bad, bad cyclists give us a bad rap, but they're not the problem. If, if you're trying to reduce people, what we call road violence, well, the problem is, is that person driving that two-ton vehicle that now they're, they're all using this. Like over 50% of studies are, are, the studies are showing 50% of people are doing this while they drive. Yeah. And, and, and the consequences to the cyclist are significant when they run across someone like that. But the cyclists that 
blows the red, you know, the stop sign, well, the consequences are to themselves. So that's where I see a big difference. When people tell me, you know, it's part of the cyclist problem too. Well, it, it, you know, everybody should abide by the same laws. You should ride in accordance with the laws. You should be safe as best you can. But the imbalance is, is based on one riding a bike versus a, a two-ton car. Have you ever had one of those cases where somebody has been, as a cyclist, um, run a stop sign or a light and has been hit and you've had to either turn it down or have you had a situation like that where somebody has approached you with that kind of case? I have lots of cases, Sylvie, and I do have had cases where the cyclist has done something wrong. Now, the way those civil cases go though, yeah. it's never, it's never, it's very seldom sometimes that it's 100% one party and not the other. Sometimes at the courts, they determine, well, you know, it's 75% your fault driver, 25% your fault cyclist. And I do have cases where if, if a cyclist did run a stop sign, fair enough, but at the same time, it doesn't give someone a license to hit them. And if that person had been paying reasonable attention that they could have avoided the crash, they will be found partly responsible for that. So, but yeah, I've had cases where the cyclist definitely in certain circumstances has been doing something that perhaps is contrary to what we call the Highway Traffic Act or a bylaw. For instance, cases where they're riding on the sidewalk. Um, you know, cases where, <laughs> where, where- Not all the time, but I go very slow because <laughs> I know I'm not supposed to be there. <laughs> yeah, but even though you're not supposed to be there, it doesn't mean someone should try to avoid hitting you. Well, yes. It might be a pedestrian, but, <laughs> but I'm very slow. And it's only- when I go into the city and there's certain areas I don't like riding on the road in the city. So I just sort of meow around on the pathway. Yeah, it's, it's <laughs> another, no, I mean, you gotta do you, right? Do you, which you feel, and I say this to everyone that, cause I, I see all the bad things that happen out on the roads and how they happen. And the engineers tell me why they happen. And I get this knowledge of just, the horrors out there. Uh, so I'm never a, a huge advocate of telling someone what they should do or shouldn't do. I'd say, do what's safe for you. So if you feel that you're not comfortable riding in a vehicle lane, don't do it uh, because uh, you know it could have consequences. If you don't, if you feel compelled, and I shouldn't say that, but compelled that it's safer to take that sidewalk through that stretch, take the sidewalk, just watch out for pedestrians, be obviously courteous, courteous and responsible, but take it if it's safe for you. Uh, because yeah, danger, there could be danger everywhere. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And I've, I do drive during like on the road and I do find that like when I, I talk about how to, um, I guess, um, act like a car but on a bicycle and take space like a car and make contact with other vehicle drivers so that they know that I'm here and that I'm turning here and um, 
I find that being that person, like I would say like aware, um, creating awareness around me, like um, that I'm going somewhere. Cause there's been times when I've had to lead a group like through a stretch of the city and we have to take up space on the road. Cause we can't like, we don't go on a bike path. There is no bike path and there's, you can't go on the, uh, and you don't go on the, the sidewalk. So we move like vehicles through the space and, you know, we ask people to slow down for us and things. And I've never had problems. We've always moved together. Um, and I find that if you're that kind of cyclist, like you're not only respecting the road as a cyclist and making sure other vehicles, you know, know you're there, then you'll have less problems um, in the long run. And yeah. I've lived in the city and I've moved out to the country and I go drive biking in the city. And I've always, and I've commuted to work throughout a year, uh, a couple of years, year round. And yeah, I've seen some bike accidents. My husband was in one, um, you know, the, the car pulling over into a bike lane to get, let somebody go out, you know, dropping somebody off classic he yeah. didn't see them it was super fast he ran into the back end of the car and funny enough i was biking i just dropped off my daughter and i was following his route to go to work in the same area and i came across this ambulance and it was my husband oh man yeah i was just like what he was fine but he smashed the back back window this person decided to pull over in the bike lane quickly i guess and he wasn't paying attention and, and to let somebody out to go to work and he ran into him and the ambulance was called because i biked by i'm like hey that bike looks really familiar i'm <laughs> just like wow your heart must was have in the back of the that. ambulance Huh? So your, your heart must have stopped on that when you come across something like that and then you realize yeah. oh my god someone I know or I love so that's horrible yeah. but he, part of the problem too is like you're explaining with your husband and how, how how that happened with someone coming in the bike lane in Toronto here they build some of these bike lanes but in relation to people knowing let's say how to make a right turn across a bike lane I can tell you that there's a large portion of the driving public that doesn't understand how to make a proper right turn across a bike lane at an intersection because they vary sometimes. Sometimes there are serrated lines, sometimes there's a solid line. And then you get cyclists too that don't necessarily know what the proper law is either when they come upon you know, an intersection with a vehicle that's going to make a right turn. So you get this conflicting conflict. And I think it has a lot to do with people just not knowing or being educated on how to deal with this new infrastructure. And I see it time and time again. I've had you know, these cases that have happened in the last five years that are arising out of what we call right hooks where the driver pulls up to the intersection and then does a, a right hook across the path of the bike lane and then the cyclist hits the side and, it, and sometimes it's trucks and they're killed. And, and when I discover those drivers and I ask them how to do it properly, they don't know. They don't know. 
So yeah. it's kind of scary that way, but back as well, like about being comfortable. Yeah, a lot of the times in Toronto, um, sometimes you have to take the lane. It's much safer to take the lane and have them wait behind you than to think you could go into maybe a door zone, you got the streetcar tracks, you got debris, oh, yeah. you got grates, you got problems. Yeah, sometimes your safest alternative is to take the lane. And if you have to hear that honk behind you, so be it. Yeah, I don't feel badly at all. I'm like, I just want to get safely over <laughs> here. And this is the best option for me. But I agree with you, because in the last five years, there have been a lot of changes in the city with regards to bike lanes, like barricades have been put up. So then you have like barricaded. So you have a barricade, then the bike lane, then the sidewalk. So you have a lot of that happening. So people kind of don't know what to, how to deal with that. Um, and then they've added color strips where this is where cyclists are to stop. And so it, it's all very confusing. And like you said, not yeah, exactly. your eyes good. And, and like, I don't know how much education has been put out there for these things. And honestly, it's like, who are they talking to before putting these suggestions through? Are they actually consulting? This is in Ottawa. Because I don't, I don't feel like there's a huge coalition like there is in Toronto, um, like asking cyclists who are commuters if it if it makes sense to them, like to them, and then I kind of you know everybody's a, a vehicle driver. Like, does it make sense to us? Does it make sense for a cyclist? Do they feel safe? Is this you know does this work? I don't know if there's been much. Um, happening on or has happened because a lot of these things are in place now like they just went through a huge um uh, i'll say movement but like reorganizing kind of like the downtown area for cyclists um anyways it's just and even like when i bike in there i'm like okay you know what does what does all this mean and where you know but i get the right hook because you can turn right on a on a red and some, uh, no. some of it has like over the years, cause you've seen it progressively a lot, at least in Toronto and I'm not sure with Ottawa and some other places, but you get different city councils, you get different mayors, you get different councillors, then you get different individuals that are involved in the infrastructure and cycling infrastructure. And it seemed to me, and it, it's certainly over the years that it's been dealt in a piecemeal manner meaning yeah. we're gonna fight right now for you know separated bike lanes on blur street okay and the fight and the advocacy is to do blur street and then maybe you win on blur street or you you, you do your you, you focus on richmond street and then you get it on richmond street and then you get it on adelaide street and it's like these piecemeal fights but they happen in different times over the 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 um the evolution of a city so you get piecemeal work as opposed to a kind of infrastructure that flows and is consistent so let's say so you come to toronto and, and you're riding and all of a sudden we come to the end of a bike lane now where do we go well now you're it's going like on to the street and you're going and, and and so the same thing is piecemeal for the cyclists it's piecemeal for the drivers 
that causes problems. So I, I, I feel sometimes we had it, we had a cycling advisory committee and they dismantled it. Now, they, now I think the city is much more receptive to listening to people at Cycle Toronto, um, people at TCAT, people at 880 cities. I think the city and the municipal councillors are more receptive. I think now too, they're fearful that if they're not, they could get voted out in many places. <laughs> so- <laughs> No, yeah. that's power. <laughs> that, that is good. Um, and, <laughs> that uh, is good. But, um, man, I'd, I'd love to see it a little more flow. That's all. A little more consistent throughout as opposed to piecemeal activism. Yeah, I think, I think you're right, especially when it's, especially when you're talking about the core. I mean, I mean, that should be fairly consistent when people are biking in and sure. around the the main area of the city. I mean, outside in the country, I guess you can get away with a little bit less consistency, but it's always nice. <laughs> you're always wondering where the this bike lane goes when it comes to a stop, right? Like, okay, well, I guess... <laughs> I guess I'm on the road, like you said. But so I'm going to go back to a question that I was going to ask before um, before this. And so you know how we know that Europe is really forward thinking in cycling and sustainable transportation. And so has, has there been any um, sort of research done over there with regards to um, implementing some of their ideas and how they view cyclists and cycling as a means form of transportation over here in Canada? I'm just asking, Pat. Have... So I, I was, I've cycled, just so you know, through, I've been in France, Italy, Ireland, Croatia, Slovenia, I've ridden uh, wow. in different places through Europe. So I, I know with certain areas with infrastructure that's good, uh, other areas where there's not so much infrastructure, but a different culture and attitude towards cyclists. Um, so I've seen it just firsthand over time, but um, I also did the corners review into cycling desks here in Ontario. So it was the most comprehensive corners review. We looked at cycling deaths over a four-year period. I did it with Albert Cole and we initiated it. It went on for a year. And during the course of that, we represented different groups, um, active transportation groups and seniors groups. Um, so during that review, there were lots of studies that were presented. Some studies obviously originating out of Ontario, Toronto and Canada but there was also studies that were looked at in relation to other places, you know, um, in Scandinavia, you know, obviously if, if you've ever been to Amsterdam, you just have to go there and you can see, wow, uh, this is very different than where we live <laughs> and a very different attitude and a very different priority of what they see should take place within an urban center. It, it, it's so apparent that you, you don't need a study to figure out that works. So, um, but yeah, there's, we, we looked at lots of studies like that. Uh, we're still behind the times, yes. There, there's places that do it so much better. They've changed the culture. And the I think we're still, we're still a bit definitely behind the times, but we are progressing. 
Well, that's good because I like, yes, it is a it I have never been um to all those locations in Europe. But um yeah, it is definitely a culture from what I've seen. And and like our like you said, we're big on vehicles, right? So and and we built cities around vehicles, not around cyclists, where some some city centers have clearly done that really well. Um, and I don't know. I don't know if we'd ever progress to some of those centers where they absolutely don't allow vehicles in the center, which I find is really cool because you have to bike into it. I can't remember what city that was, but um, I just remember reading about it. Um, but how are we progressing? Why do you say we're big on vehicles? We're big on big vehicles too. Big vehicles, yes. Huge problem. These SUVs, <laughs> you don't see those in Europe these large monstrous vehicles that I have to say are unnecessary. And if space is a, an issue, well then clearly it's a lot of space for what you're trying to do. But in any event, <laughs> um, yeah. Invest your money. <laughs> Stop putting it in like a- I think, I think, they, get, I think they get bigger vehicles because they think they're safer. Uh, well, and uh, you know, it's teach their own. But in I can any see event. that because trucks have steel frames, small cars do not. Meaning and safer to them. Well, yes. The driver, right? Yeah. But anyways, these big vehicles—it's <laughs> ridiculous. I mean, and it, it's a federal government too. Federal government always says, "Oh, oh, like a cycling infrastructure, pedestrian." road violence, really not an issue for us. It's a municipal thing. It's a provincial thing. Now, uh, federal government, you control who designs vehicles, what designs get sold in Canada, uh, speed inhibitors. Uh, they have a responsibility to have certain design protocols in the vehicles that can certainly reduce um, these incidents. And, and I don't think they've done much, if anything, in that front, especially now that we know with technology that a lot of these things can exist where you can really reduce speed by changing the design of vehicles. You can give more space by design of vehicles. I mean, a good example is tinted windows. So we have laws that say you can't, you can't have tinted side windows and for, for obvious reasons, because you can't, number one, enforcement can't see people on their phones in the vehicles or doing things in the vehicles. It gives them the opportunity for people. And it also allows the cyclists to look in the vehicles to see what that driver is doing. So we have laws that you can't have these tinted windows at 30%, you know, greater than, I forget, opaqueness or something. And meanwhile, um, we see you just have to drive around every, all these cars have these dark tinted side windows and they're illegal. And, oh, and, I was gonna and say. All, all the government has to do is say, when you, you cannot do off market tinting, meaning it's just a law, pass a law, no off market tinting, meaning when the car comes in design without the tinted windows, you can't go to some place and get those tinted windows added. And that's a quick law they could ticket? do, but they, they haven't. Can you get a ticket a for that? Hmm? Can, can, can you get a ticket for that? Yeah. Have tinted windows? Yeah, but law enforcement will say to you, 
we can ticket them, but it's got some wiggle room the way the law says, you know. Um, yeah. And so they, they get off it and they, they don't they don't seem to enforce it, but it, it exists. Right. So. Well, that is a good point. That's a good place to start. And like you said, I didn't realize the government had so much c control over um, the manufacturing of uh, vehicles. I know like, I mean, Ontario is a big manufacturer like uh, down in what, um, Hamilton? Isn't that, isn't that where all the... Yeah. Well, I don't know. Hamilton, you mean with all the car makers? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. They're all over the place, but I mean, they they do control uh, the standards that apply to vehicles coming into the country or being sold in the country. And mm -hmm. if you look at so this is interesting, Sylvie. In the last forty years, on statistics, okay, um, and the Ministry of Transportation will tell you this: that the amount of people being killed and injured in car crashes with cars hitting each other has been going down and it has been a steady decline for 40 years. And that has a ton to do with side impact airbags, airbags in vehicles, collapsible steering wheels, um, different designs oh. to vehicles to ensure that that person inside that vehicle, seat belts, uh, and their passengers are safe when a crash occurs. And in addition to that, they've made their roads better. They've made sure that they salt their roads so that they, they don't lose control. They have minimum maintenance standards. So you've seen this steady decline like that, which is great. And it's great for society that we reduce the number of deaths for people inside cars. Go look at the same stats in relation to pedestrians and cyclists, not the same. They've admitted through Public Health Ontario, that's going still has still going up. So you've got this one downhill trend, the other one going up. And it just seems to me that the priorities are focused in one area where they've made changes to vehicle design, where they've put laws in place for that. They put an emphasis on, 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 on road design. Then why, why are we still seeing this in relation to cyclists and pedestrians? It's because car culture, where they're putting their emphasis and um, there's so much more that could be done. So many more people are getting on their bikes and walking. I think. Do you think? I missed. I missed the, the beginning. Oh, there. sorry. And uh, and I was just going to say that um, more people are getting on their bikes or on bikes now than um, and walking. But I was going to say, 40 years ago, along with the banana seat bike. Um, <laughs> We were never strapped into cars. No. I'm sure maybe you <laughs> you remember sure. the times when you like- The back of the just, station wagon. Yeah, fighting with your siblings and uh, that's the way we rolled, right? Like it didn't matter where we are. There you are. And I just, you know, anyways, but it's true. Things have certainly changed since uh, back then. So leading forward, um, I think we chatted about a lot of stuff. Um, what can you, um, I guess, close us off with, with relations to things that um, as a cyclist, we should be looking for or doing any kind of tips for us? I think you should keep riding. And I think the more people that ride bikes, uh, the more we'll get change. And I think though, that is cyclists and cycling communities uh, to be aware 
that there still should be change and make your voice mm -hmm. known and make sure and ask uh, your politicians, whether it's at the city level or the provincial level or the federal level, what are you doing to make our roads safer? Not just for drivers and passengers, but cyclists and pedestrians. And what plan do you have in store? So put it to them. Um, because I think that's where you're going to start getting changed because they're going to understand, wow, I've never had that question before. Um, and I've heard it now frequently. And hopefully they think the voting public is aware that it's not, it shouldn't be tolerated. So be your own activist. And it, may, it might only mean just asking a question. And uh, I think that will help and go a long way. You want me to say, follow the rules of the road? Sure, follow the rules of the road. Uh, you can say Here whatever you, you like. Follow the rules You're of the road. You're the lawyer. Uh, but um, you know what? That's 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 what everybody knows. Uh, that's you know. Um, that's group rides. Saying, really? Get out and ride. Group rides. Cycling clubs are great. They're they're. I find with group rides, albeit I have done, seen things happen in group rides with crashes. But with a group ride and you're new to cycling, uh, they have different areas of rides, different, different levels of rides. And when you're in that group, I'll have to say it is, it is much safer. So if you're gonna start cycling, just don't get out there on your own and, and try it out. Maybe try it out with a group because there's safety in numbers. There is. There is a little bit of skill involved as well. And I find that if there's a, something that happens in a group ride, it has nothing to do with a vehicle usually. It's usually somebody not paying attention and it happens at the back of the group. Yeah. <laughs> That's my experience. Somebody's just not paying attention. But uh, yeah, there are definitely um, safety in numbers. Uh, I know with our groups, we have like anywhere from four till 12 women going out at a time. And uh, and it's a nice thing to see more people out riding and safely. So yeah, no, it's it's hey, listen, it's it's, it's great on on so many different levels. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, just your day to day living, but also you know your vacations. You can incorporate it in anything, and uh, mm -hmm. and if you just uh, be careful, like for sure, you got to be careful. I do. I, I have one comment to some cyclists. I we get into these discussions about that was my right of way and and I had the right of way and yet sometimes absolutely you have the right of way but don't be what I call dead right meaning you had the right of way but be conscious that that driver might do something illegal and just be on guard for it so a lot of people who ride in Toronto are aware of that that even though they know they have the right of way, they're conscious that there could be a right hook and a left hook and something else coming at them. And so they gauge that into their riding as opposed to being what we call dead right. I think, uh, I think as a cyclist, you have to be totally aware of your surroundings. You can't just be like, I'm, you know, I'm a cyclist, you, you watch me, no, you have to take into consideration everything around you. Or you're like you said, 
something might happen out of the, the blue that you didn't expect. I also find that Ottawa, when I first moved here, was the, the city with the most people who run red lights. It's one of the first thing I noticed when I moved here. Weird. I've lived in a lot of different places, even Montreal. But, but so like, I'm always like, uh, never run a yellow as a cyclist. <laughs> like, because guaranteed there might be somebody following um, the red. So yeah, it was that's weird. my tip. <laughs> it was weird during COVID. I, I must say in the last, whatever, two years is COVID. Uh -huh. I get a feeling that there's a lot more aggression in drivers than there was before. For whatever reason, it just seemed like there was aggressive activity on the road. It's almost like people were using it as entertainment or something. So I, I, I hope that changes. I don't know if it was a COVID effect, but we know statistically that even the, the police said it was like a six, 600% increase in dangerous driving type activities. Yeah, I don't know what it's from, wow. but just. Because <laughs> here, maybe it's when people were starting to get back into, into driving somewhere because here it was like a cycling paradise. There was no cars whatsoever anywhere. <laughs> and you could like, especially in the cities was like a dead zone. Um, but I can probably see that as people were starting to get back. And I even I felt it when I started to get back into my car after not being in my car for X number of months because I didn't have anywhere to go because we couldn't go anywhere. It was strange. It was strange driving. And maybe that's the feeling. It's just being an awareness, um, like getting back into the routine of like how to drive safely and sure. looking at all the, you know, the blind spots. Did you find that? Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, I think people put their guard down is if they haven't been in, in their vehicles for a while and they, they've been at home and the next thing they're in the car, they could put their guard down. But like you said, you said it so well, you, you got to have all your faculties moving just like riding a bike, but also operating a car. You gotta be on the ball. You really have to really if, if you if you cycle and drive, but definitely don't 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 do this in a car. Uh, and and people are doing that far too often. And and call those people out too. Like even if they're family and friends to say, hey, you know what? That's a distracted driving. It has consequences. Um, but anyways. <laughs> I, <laughs> I, I, I get this feeling like I, I see all the bad things, Sylvie. And so I'm, I'm I know, like I know. We got listen and I, I'm telling all the horrible dangers. And then if someone goes, I listen to Patrick Brown, I'm never getting on my bike. And oh, I kind of no, go, oh, I wish that, that's not the message I sent <laughs> because the value and the benefit and the enjoyment that certainly I get personally from that activity, you want other people to get out and do it. Oh, and for sure. sure. I don't think that's what you were portraying at all, Pat, because <laughs> I think, I think that if anything, people have got, gotten some tips from this and, um, you know, maybe being an, a longtime cyclist to, and, you know, the beginner cyclist, there's a lot of, you know, experience in between there that just, they just haven't experienced. And um, maybe they took some tips away from that, but 
I notice it when I, I teach my new cyclists, you know, the rules of the road and how to be safe. Um, it's to their advantage that they take <laughs> seriously um, so that we avoid any kind of, you know, um, issues while riding. And it's also my obligation as a leader that I make sure everybody's safe. And you listen to me. No. <laughs> Good for you. These are in oh, your yeah, group it's... rides, Sylvie. These are in the group Pardon? rides that you you hold with your your group. Pardon? These are with your group rides. Yes. Yeah. Um. You know, like we have over a hundred members, so that's that's super i mean that's part of our program right is, is safety um not even safety in numbers but also being safe safe as a solo cyclist if you are, are uh wearing our jersey right representing um i hope i try and do my job well um our leaders do their jobs well um because you know we're advocates for cycling in the city for women so yeah, it's pretty important. So with that. Uh, <laughs> All right, Pat, where can people find you if they're looking for advice or maybe to commission yeah. you for? Uh, I'm in Toronto. I'm not right. the mayor of Brampton. We have a package around the mayor of Brampton. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm they, not the mayor of Brampton. Never have been. Uh, I'm another Patrick. You go into person. politics, though. <laughs> uh, no, and I have no desire to do that either. Everybody <laughs> has a role to play, and that definitely is not where I'd like to be. Uh, not to say that many do a good job and everything like that. No, um, no, I'm in Toronto. Uh, the firm's McLeish Orlando. I'm also Bike Law Canada. So if you okay. Google that, you'll find my contact information. Um, and uh, yeah, if you have any questions, especially about anything I, I was talking about or information, uh, I'm more than happy to answer them as best I can. And um, I really appreciate being on this podcast with you, Sylvie, and to get to meet you. Thank you, you too. And we'll make sure to have all those links that you spoke about, uh, especially like, um, you know, ghost bikes and, and cycling Toronto. So if you happen to hear this and you are in the Toronto area, please, join i'm sure they're look, looking for members more people to be yeah yeah like cycle toronto helping them out they they do such great work and and really i can't say enough about cycle toronto and giving them the support that they need to keep this thing moving and getting better friends and families for safe streets wow they're starting they're they're becoming bigger they're advocating, uh, they're, they're, they're lobbying as best they can on behalf of victims for new laws. So another group really, if, you, if you're looking to support organizations to move the needle, uh, I can't say enough about those two. ARC, ARC works on a shoestring, believe it or not, but it does cost money for those ghost bikes. Uh, it does cost money for, for the upkeep of the bikes and um, it's purely voluntary. So. If you're looking to support any other organizations to ARC, it's always a good one too here in Toronto. So awesome. And I'm really grateful to have been connected with you, Pat, especially, you know, since we're both in Canada. And I'll just say I'm in Ottawa and we're in Ontario. <laughs> but I I'm always love building and networking. And 
I hope all of our listeners have enjoyed this episode. If you have, please share this with somebody that you know in, I mean, in Canada or anywhere else. Um, Also, don't forget to subscribe and make sure you don't miss another episode coming out. So with that, have an amazing day. Thanks so much again, Pat. It's been a pleasure for sure. Thank you. Thank you so much for spending this time with me on the Secrets from the Saddle podcast. Learning more about sighting people, places, and things that make cycling such an exciting sport. I am so glad you stopped by today. Please leave me a review if you feel so moved to do so. I would love to hear your feedback. And if you could take one second to share this episode with someone you think would enjoy it, I would be forever grateful. Also, if you could please leave me a review if you feel so moved by going to iTunes and leaving me an honest thought and an honest comment telling me what you think, and most importantly, tell me what you'd like to hear more of. It would really help me to bring more great, inspiring cycling stories to you. Until then, have an amazing day. Make sure you ride your bike. And don't forget to visit my YouTube channel if you'd like to see the full version of this podcast live.